Hey there, and welcome to Jenny and Paul Sell Out, episode number six. And on today's program, we're tackling a topic which uh, we both have pretty strong feelings about. And uh, maybe you'll agree with us, and maybe you won't, but we're going to talk about selflessness. And uh, as you'll hear, neither of us is a big fan. But first, we're going to go ahead and share uh, a little bit about our vacations that we had uh, before this show. Uh, Jenny had an opportunity to go out to uh, Los Angeles and Anaheim, and I was over in Ireland in Scotland. And of course, you know, we'll have a few uh, pop culture references in there for you just to keep it fun and spicy. But I hate to disappoint, aside from this mention right now, there's no Kip Winger. So strap in, keep your earbuds locked and loaded, and keep listening here to episode number six of Jenny and Paul Sell Out. All right, hello, Jenny. Hello, Paul. Well, so this is our first podcast where we are not in the same room together. It's very awkward. <laughs> we're going to have to learn how to how to deal with this. I know. And we're not on video either, so it's not like I can see you. Yeah, because video eats up all the bandwidth. It does. It does. So, because uh, we're we're skyping it here, but uh, Skype, if, especially if you're on a, uh, I, I'm I'm plugged in directly to the router, so I'm I'm not even on Wi-Fi here. I'm eating up all the bandwidth I can. If you do that, it it, it turns out remarkably well now. I can imagine. I have one of those situations where uh, Comcast told me there's only one place in my home that they can plug in the router, and it's in like the most uh, unuseful place. You would imagine. So there's like literally no plugging into my router. Yeah. We, uh, I've just got an Ethernet cable draped all over my house and a very big. I'd have to have like at least a 15 foot Ethernet cable for that to work. Yeah. Well, I've got yeah. more than that. So, uh, well, and, someone's really cool. And repeaters and all sorts of stuff. Yes. My, my wife is very patient <laughs> with the, uh, <laughs> with the technology. <laughs> Many geeks would be jealous, I think. So, uh, well, before we really jump into things, uh, we've had a little bit of feedback. You, you were sent some uh, feedback about our last episode uh, about uh, Jack White Striper. <laughs> Jack White Striper. Yeah, uh, I was sent some some positive feedback about how much people hate Jack White. So, <laughs> um, in fact, that I did not go far enough and that there's, there's extra, extra things to say. Okay. And someone requested that we have a call-in show. <laughs> okay. I don't know. Oh, I'm not work. really sure how to pull that off. <laughs> uh, and it's not impossible. It's not impossible. I guess you, we, we could do it on like Google Plus or something. Yeah, we probably could. Like someone could jump in there and we could have a few people in. Um, that right. would be one way. We could stream and have like a chat. Yeah. I mean, you can definitely do that. Uh, I could, I mean, or we could do, yeah, there's, I mean, there's a few ways we could engineer it. Sure. Uh, where we could then we would have to get a call screener. Maybe it would be for a very special episode. <laughs> yes, a very special episode. A very yeah, special episode. We do a little live stream, and then and and the thing with the live stream, it would definitely be callers. Anyone listening in a live stream though would be about 
15, 20 to seconds behind what's actually going on. It could get very confusing very quickly. Sure. Uh, when I was doing my radio show, Media Geek, um, towards the uh, towards the end of it, uh, like, like the last year or so, and I was on WNUR, we were taking calls. And because uh, it was an hour show and we were streaming online, we started to get some calls towards the end of my run. Um, it took us months and months before anyone called in. And definitely there were folks who were calling in who were listening online somewhere. But we always had to get them to, uh, you know, to only listen on the phone. Of course, that's a real radio station with real infrastructure. And this is not a real radio station. I don't have a landline. So that would be one way to do it is just to tell people to call the landline. I would say the other thing that came through was that um, in Iowa, near one, the person who wrote in is from uh, the Quad Cities, uh, near where um, the American Pickers are, and they have a really bad uh, local – locally, they're not well-liked. Oh, really? Yes. Why? For, for reasons stated in the last episode, like that people think they're jerks. <laughs> <laughs> they're just they're just so so for, for all the reasons you brought up overpriced yeah yeah and uh sort of like schemey mm-hmm. well that mic but not due to the attractiveness of mike <laughs> i don't know i don't know about that guy <laughs> well you know so people should be sending in uh sending in their comments we're more than glad to review them here and and not uh completely rip them apart either we'll we'll, we'll let them stand we can take the criticism or the the follow-up as it is, uh, what's our email address again? It's jpsellout at gmail.com. Okay. jpsellout at uh, gmail.com. You can also leave, um, you can also leave comments on the, uh, on the website at selloutpodcast.com. We're, we're always glad to, uh, to hear from folks. We'll, uh, we'll read through. We, we mostly, I mean, we've received a few, few compliments on the website. That's kind of it's nice. True. And the iTunes and and the iTunes, yeah, definitely keep uh, putting in those iTunes reviews. Those those are those are very useful uh, in uh, making other people listen to the podcast. They're staggeringly uh, useful. It's like it's like rating it once is like three hundred people liking it. It's something crazy. Yeah, there's some statistical craziness happening there. So just put in a few words, you know, and it's fine if you know you're critical or whatever. Just uh, put something in. And uh, one, one comment I, we didn't review is from Laura, who, who we know, who is a recent uh, uh, someone who's recently left the great city of Chicago, where we uh, originate this from. Who uh, wonders exactly how culturally relativistical you'll be able to get further down the line? I think that's a challenge. <laughs> um, you know, perhaps she can help us. I don't know. <laughs> I think it's a challenge saying uh, that perhaps we would fail that eventually we'll have to appeal to some sort of uh, static moral authority or something like that. Um, well, I'll, I'll keep looking for that. <laughs> you, you have no answer to that. <laughs> no answer. I've literally no answer. Okay, fine. Uh, I'll think about it. I don't really have an answer. And, uh, I'm moral authority clearly. <laughs> on Jack White at the very least. And, and <laughs> the American pickers. I feel like, I am only relaying a small bit of what our listeners feel about Jack White. <laughs> well, some of them at the very least, you some know. Of them, yeah. So I read that New York Times article. Now, thank you for right. putting in the show notes so I could okay. so I could read it. And I I just think he's messing with the reporter. I just think he's 
I think he's like, this guy's from the New York Times and I'm going to mess with him. That's what I think. Well, even if that is true, I think he messes with him in a way that's like, oh, it makes me seem like a dick. <laughs> like, I think it's that's true. fine. It's like, it's like, oh, I want to appear like to be a giant dick. Okay. At least succeeds, apparently. Yeah. We it's been a couple. It's been two, three weeks since we yeah, actually wow. sat down. Uh, we pre-recorded a. We recorded like three, four in a row. It was kind of crazy. Uh, three of them, at least. I think it was because you so went out traveling. to you went out to Anaheim and, in Los, and Angeles. Los Angeles. Um, how how is Los Angeles these days? It's good. I don't drive, um, so I take the public transit there, which I enjoy. The public transit there. Everyone thinks I'm fucking crazy. Everyone I know who lives there. Um, my main, I like L.A. a lot. The first three days, I'm like, this is a great place. I get why people want to live here. And then on day four, I'm like, this is terrible. I need to leave this terrible, terrible desert. And I'm listening to Tool. Um, so what, what, what causes, first of all, for you to love it? And then what's, what's, it sounds like your relationship with Jack White. What, what is the middle true. period? Uh, it's very pleasant out, even though, I mean, I'm. it's never really hot, so that's nice. And then it gets really cool at night, and that's pleasant. Um, and, you know, almost everything is outside in a way. Like, there's the spaces between inside and outside are very fungible mm-hmm. in a way I am not used to as a Chicagoan, which where you're like, oh, my God, the outside's going to kill us 90% of the year. <laughs> um there's lots of cool things there. So, I mean, there's great museums. There's lots of weird stuff, which I like. I will particularly go to weird museums. There's lots of good beer. So those are all things that I really like. Um, things I don't like are, it, I mean, every, I mean, all the stereotypes of LA, I think, are pretty accurate. I think the idea that, you know, you have to drive everywhere and... More than any city I've ever been to, and I used to live in New York, um, if something is 20 minutes away, people will be like, oh, that's way too far. And I'm hmm. like, but you have a car. Like, <laughs> it's 20 minutes away. They're like, oh, I'm not going there. It's going to take – it's like eight miles away. But everything is 20 minutes away I know, in LA. but that's the thing that's so crazy. It's like, it's like, well, it could take two hours. And you're like, well, we have the internet now. We can look. And <laughs> <laughs> like, like, it's going to take 20 minutes. Um, so people are just really obsessed with traffic, even in a totally unrealistic way. Like, like in Manhattan, it you should not drive. It's going to take you nine hours to get anywhere. I understand that, but in LA, it didn't seem that bad. So, hmm. but people are really obsessed with it. Uh, also, I don't keep up on the current movies very much, and so inevitably, any conversation in LA will devolve into like new movies that are coming out, and I sit there and don't know what people are talking about. No. Um, and I do think that there is far more of a, like, I guess also most of my friends work in the industry. So, mm. uh, there's like a weird beauty standard that's very palpable there. Yeah. Um, it's not a stereotype. Except on the public not- transport. Uh, yeah. The public <laughs> transport has TVs. Their buses have television. Yeah. Yeah. I noticed that. I've only been there once. I was there uh, a year ago, year almost two years ago for a conference, and uh, I did take public transport. Not a lot, but I did because uh, I didn't want to have a car. Um, you know, yeah, it wasn't so bad. It was no worse than than a bus anywhere else. You know, yeah, I find. 
kind I took the bus, I took the subways like super crazy clean. Um and I took their like uh light rail, I would guess, or commuter rail. It was all pretty decent. Um I saw a lot of magic cuz Magic Castle is there. I went to some Scientology museums. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, do you, do you have to register to go in? Do they, do, you know, do they want to no. see your ID? There was a weird situation. I did go to the um, the L. Ron Hubbard Life Experience, is what it's called, and um, I walk in, and they do seem kind of like freaked out that I walked in, like ah, even though it's like a place for people to come see, mm. and um, they're like, actually, can you wait like five minutes? And I said, yeah. And I've tried to go once before when I was in L.A., and it was closed, which apparently it's almost never closed unless there's some gigantic event. So there must have been some gigantic Scientology event. So I wait around for five minutes, and there's like some kind of chanting happening Hmm. that I can hear. And she's like, oh, the Blackfoot are here, like the Blackfoot tribe are here blessing, blessing something. Well, how nice of them. Yeah, so basically they have um uh L. Ron Hubbard was an honorary Blackfoot and he has like a chief men chief headdress. Of course he was. Of course he yeah. does. <laughs> He's a medicine yeah. man in, in Blackfoot. And so I mean I guess my question was like, are there really Blackfoot who come here and bless this? Like is that really a thing that happens? Or is this like an elaborate put on where interns at the L. Ron Hubbard Life Museum chant like fake fake Native American chant? I, I don't know. You're I not could, in a position to judge. I can't answer that, but it's so crazy. I'm still waiting for the uh, L. Ron Hubbard uh, uh, biopic picture. I think it should star Michael McKeon. He's a spitting image. Who is in Short Circuit 2, which is Indeed. the person whose name I couldn't figure out last last episode. But if you see if you see pictures of like middle-aged L. Ron Hubbard, it, it's he Michael like McKeon. Michael McKeon? I haven't seen Michael McKeon recently. Well, he looks like middle. He look, Michael McKeon, you know, any time after Laverne and Shirley. So, pick your pick oh, your he Michael. Does you're right? Yeah, I'm. I'm. It's spitting image. That's really accurate. Uh, many years ago, when I was at uh, in the community radio station in uh, Champaign Urbana, where I did a late night show, at one point we get this big information packet from the Church of Scientology about Narconon. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah, which people get confused with. Uh, uh, there's another one that's for like the family. Uh, or with Al-Anon. Al-Anon. They get to confuse with Al-Anon, which is for the uh, the families and, and loved ones of alcoholics. Narconon is the Scientology approach to uh, to drug rehabilitation. And so at first, you know, it doesn't really say church Scientology until you look in this. And it's really nice bound book uh, about Narconon in the back. It's Why are they this, sending your radio station Narconon pamphlets? Oh, I'm sure it was just some sort of media blitz, you know, trying to... Uh, just, you know, trying to drum up support. We were on some PR agents list and you get all kinds of crazy stuff at radio sure. stations. Just Narconon seems like an odd, like what, even if you were like, awesome, Narconon, what, what could you possibly do? <laughs> talk about it on air, you know, book it, book it, book somebody for a talk show. And look, lo these many years, it worked. Yeah, exactly. Here <laughs> I am. I'm here. I am talking. We talked about it quite a bit, but it was, you know, late night radio and, and, uh, and uh, I, I, I'm not sure it was quite in the way that they were hoping. But uh, and but there's this portrait of L. Ron Hubbard that looked very much like something you, that should be hung on a wall somewhere. Um, and and he was wearing an ascot, of course. Yeah, well, he always wears the ascot because he's a sailor. Right. 
and uh, and how I just looked at it and said it's it's uh, it's Michael McKeon. Was he Lenny or Squiggy? I can't remember which. He's uh, Lenny because Lenny, Lenny is big. Yeah. Right. Squiggy's the shorter uh, the shorter guy with the with the high little... voice. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um. Yeah. The L. Ron Hubbard. I mean, I've been to the L. Ron Hubbard home in D.C. as well. And it scored me tons and tons of points with the woman who was giving me a tour. <laughs> she was like, are you, oh, so you're a Scientologist. And I was like, no, I'm not. <laughs> she was very jealous that I've been there. You just respect their religion. I just, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm just there. And I told her that I had tried to go there before. And she's like, it must be fated that I'm giving you this tour. I'm so psyched that I'm giving you this tour. Um and then afterwards, I went to the bathroom, and I, you have to go through the exhibits to go back to the bathroom. And someone followed me in and like hung out until I left. <laughs> Making it, sure what you weird. you weren't filing some special reports or uh... I did take secret pictures. I mean, I I didn't. I don't know if they would have not let me take pictures. It wasn't clear, but I didn't take any pictures. She toured me through the whole thing. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like you got to like hang out. It was a personal tour. It was a very personal tour, yeah. I mean, like, what do you do for a living? Oh, this can help you with that. Um, There's paintings of of all. It's kind of like Stations of the Cross of L. Ron Hubbard. Like, there's paintings of his life. Hmm. Yeah. Sorry, not really, but sorry, I missed it. Uh, Although I do find (laughs) the, I mean, I find the Scientologist sort of fascinating, but. I always enjoyed uh, when back when I lived in Champaign Urbana, Illinois. The Scientologists were always at the farmers market, yeah, uh, with a little table, and they always looked like they could just as easily be recruiting for um, for for a Magic the Gathering game. <laughs> I, don't, I mean, I feel like I, I I get it. It seems it seems in I I think the AA comparison is very apt. I mean, it seems very. Uh... You know, it's just people trying to make their lives better, and that's cool as long as you don't. It just like, costs a lot of money. Stock people, yeah, but I mean, <laughs> it costs a lot of money to get therapy, and it's the same thing. So, <laughs> costs a lot more money to be a Scientologist. I understand. It's true, I guess. You know, uh, and then there's you know, you know, they have these like workships. Yeah. Yeah, you know where people. Sea Org. Yeah, Sea Org. That's it. Uh, yeah, that's a whole nother show. We we shouldn't uh, we shouldn't go down this rat hole, but. Uh, <laughs> So, so on my vacation was was in I was in Ireland in Scotland, um, which was nice. Uh, the pole very different than Chicago, uh, just simply by weather because it was a pretty persistently sixty degrees uh, there in Ireland and Scotland uh, versus the consistently hundred degrees Fahrenheit that it was uh, here in Chicago while I was there. And uh, it was very nice. I had a lot of very very good beers up in Scotland. Um, there's a very good, uh, beer culture, especially, uh, microbrew or just small breweries that have persisted. Uh, so we'd call them, I guess, craft brew- breweries now, but they would have, you know, I don't know what they would have called them 30 years ago. Local. Uh, yeah. Local. Exactly. Some good cask ales and, uh, lovely scenery. And, um, you know, they, they really dislike the British. That's, <laughs> you go to any museum. Uh, and, and learn anything about, especially Irish history, um, that's what you come away with. Um, the British are assholes. That's that's a message you, you cannot fail to come home with. Hmm. You know, I think that, you know, individually, you know, I think they have nothing against, you know, individual British people, right? But uh, but as a, uh, as a as a nation state, no, no real good feelings. And, you know, I mean, it's understandable. I think that's 
good because I feel like a lot of colonies of Britain don't have that hatred, and I that confuses me. Yeah, yeah, it is. Well, you know, they they're not part of the Commonwealth, Ireland. Uh, right. So I mean, they've really you know, and in, in a part of the eurozone, so they really identify much more closely with uh, Europe at this point. Um, you know, but then I learned, went to the, I was in Galway, a city there on the West Coast. It's a nice small kind of college and tourist town. And I uh, went to their Galway City Museum, which was very nice. And, you know, quite a bit about the history of, of Galway. And what you learn is that, you know, the British built the city more or less. Um, and in the medieval style, uh, built a enormous wall around it and kicked all the Irish out at sundown. <laughs> So only the Brits were allowed to stay in the city after after dark. Everyone else had to be kicked out. So that's just, you know, one small example of the <laughs> sort of stuff that the Irish uh, were forced to put up with for uh, several hundred years. Well, so now we're back here settled in Chicago on uh, different parts of the city. Thank you to Skype uh, to uh, to be able to do this. Because uh, yes. you're because you're out of you're out of allergy meds or no no you're you're going to get allergy tests this week. I'm right? intentionally not taking allergy meds. I'm very allergic to everything, and um, I've been on allergy med or allergy shots for seven years now, and so you you really get retested like every three years. So I'm get, I'm getting retested, so you can't take any of the allergy meds. Got it, and, and yeah, over here in the uh, in the studios, in the podcast studios, there are a couple of cats, and uh, while we try, we generally try to keep the cat hair under control, um, especially in the summer. It's a it's a little rough because uh, they they drop a lot of it; they shed quite a bit. Well, I mean that's reasonable. I, they are cats, but uh, usually it's fine because <laughs> yeah. I'm taking allergy meds. But right. today. Not as much. Today it is quarantine time. Plus, you didn't want to have to go outside and get on a bus today anyway. It's a little nasty out there. It's kind of gross. Yeah. So uh, today we have a topic. We we keep kind of running a tally of topics and uh, we a little back and forth about it. And uh, we eventually settled on one that you had suggested, I think. Yeah, but you seem very psyched about it. I'm I'm all into it. It's Um, all about you. Folks are gonna folks are gonna think I'm a randist or something. <laughs> uh, but uh, roughly, you put it out there is uh, selfishness. Yes. So so maybe why don't you uh, start with where you were coming from on this topic, and uh, we can go from there. So I keep just a running a tally, and sometimes I remember why I put them in. Sometimes I don't. I don't exactly remember what experience uh, made me put this in, but the way I phrased it sort of was like how. People try and couch their selflessness as, as like how great they are when it's really just like all in your own interest things. <laughs> and almost anything you're, you're doing, no matter how good it is for the rest of humanity, is still fairly selfish. And I don't think that's a problem. Mm-hmm. Um, and sort of how people try and make the things they do seem selfless in order to seem be- to, to seem better about it, to convince themselves of it. Um when it's just, I mean, a choice they actually have to make, no matter what. So yeah, I'm with you on that, and I tend finally to f- we agree again. Yeah, I tend to find that the folks who were the most, who uh, worked the hardest to couch their actions as uh, as for the benefit of others rather than than selfish are the are often the folks who I trust the least because it seems as though what they are doing is actually 
much less likely actually to be in, in the benefit of others and that they're really putting themselves first often in a way that is not mutually beneficial and they're using it as a cover and it may be about matter of their own denial like it may not be quite as uh as conniving <laughs> in any sort of conscious way that as uh as it could be but that's i i see that very often and i've there are a number of people i've i've had to deal with in a number of different circumstances where everything they did was couched in the uh and for the greater good and you really started to doubt it because it was often used to uh justify behavior which was often sneaky or clearly intended to circumvent uh scrutiny by others you know so i've had a lot of experience in um in 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 nonprofits especially nonprofits with a uh, uh fairly progressive political bent and so often part of that experience is trying to do things Those in people a people are the most selfish dicks in the world. <laughs> <laughs> not not everyone. I mean I I wouldn't yeah. paint with a broad brush, but it does really it, it attracts folks. I mean I think all organizations attract folks who are looking to find a place where they can get their way. And uh they find that you know in maybe a progressive political organization if they really adopt the rhetoric really well uh, and can and really talk the talk and can sort of walk the walk, uh, folks will generally give them a pretty big pass. Um, and, you know, and there tends to be, in any sort of group circumstance, there's this tendency for folks to be a little afraid to step forward and speak up if no one else is. And so if you get somebody who is, you know, kind of self-assured and uh, comes in and talks to talk and says, you know, they, we're really out down for the mission and we should do that this way. And then kind of starts to shortcut or starts to say, well, normally we have to do this, but I think we all agree here that this is in the best interest. So we should just go forward. We don't need to, we don't need to hold a formal vote or we don't need to do anything more. Oh, not everyone could show up, but I think everyone agrees. You start getting that kind of nonsense when you realize it's the kind of thing that, that what they want to do and other it's folks. Manipula- it's manipulative. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's like it's like manipulative couched in the idea of selflessness. Exactly. Exactly. You know, and often these are folks who, you know, they're willing to put in work. So they're willing to kind of go in and uh, and 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 do the sweat equity, which which is one of the ways that you sort of uh, buy credibility. But, you know, because if you're just going to talk after a while, people will sort of catch on and realize that there's a lot of talk, but not a lot of action. Um, but it, it it gets really sneaky when when they're willing to do the work. But often you find they're only willing to do the work when it's exactly what they want to have happen rather than necessarily in service of the will of the group. I think we just explained the state of Democratic elections <laughs> in america um yeah i think I, I i feel the same way especially about nonprofits. and i mean i am in the position where um i've worked at a bunch of libraries um public and academic and um i worked at a nonprofit, and now i work at a corporation which is pretty odd as a librarian and um I kind of get that sort of flack from people who are still at a public library like oh well not all of us can do a corporate job some of us have to teach the children to read Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and it's like dude you chose your job i chose my job like you chose 
to like that. I mean, I think it's an uh, it's used a lot as an excuse um, for a cover up as to why you're not excelling, um, yeah. or like why you're not making money, or why you're not um, an excuse not to choose a different position um, or challenge I mean, yourself. Right. Exactly. And uh, or choose not to have an opinion like um, I, I just think that people use it as a crutch to uh, instead of instead of just admitting what they want. Mm-hmm. No, I agree. And, and I mean, that, and that's sort of the, that cuts the other way, um, you know, because I've, I've heard it, too. And I work at a, uh, a you know, a fairly large research, private research university that uh, is uh, fairly highly ranked. And I used to work at a large, much larger, you know, public land grant university, also highly ranked. But at least a couple of comments were made to me, and they, I think, they were meant to be slightly cutting when I when I left. Like, oh, going to join the privates now, are we? <laughs> it's sort of like, all right. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's right. So, and <laughs> going from one fairly selective elite university to go work at another relatively selective elite university <laughs> that is some white people problem that yeah you know and and i don't i don't even want to couch it that way but right. and it was a matter of sure you know i think we all have to draw our own lines and decide at what point you know what we're doing is satisfactory it, it jives with our own sense of ethics and purpose but when i you know kind of looked at it one of my comments was yeah well you know what can i say um, the presidents of the these two universities make pretty equivalent salaries as do the basketball coaches at these equivalent universities. So sorry that they happen to also pay like lower level staff like me better at this yeah. other one. Yeah. You know, we're all asked at the at the big state university to kind of chip in and to uh, you know to roll with the uh, the punches of the vagaries of the uh, of state funding and such, and yet. You start noticing that a lot of the upper administration doesn't seem to really be rolling with it the same as a lot of folks lower down. And, you know, and that's kind of typical of almost all large organizations, regardless right. of their purpose. But forgive me if maybe I want to go someplace where it seems like they're try at least a little bit harder to be nice to their lower level employees. Well, and it's some sort of trap where you're like, I don't know how universities have done this, but there's some sort of. Uh, I mean, maybe because it's a trade-off for not getting paid as much as other places, but there's there's like a definite cultural thing they've somehow inculcated into people to uh, – when you say something like, well, they do pay better, those people then get to say like, well, is that really what's important to you? Yeah, I, did, I didn't get anyone say that. People. Yeah, luckily – and no one said that to me because that would have probably no. been the end of the conversation because <laughs> uh, I don't need that kind of nonsense. Um but yeah, exactly. And, and you know, I mean, frankly, I mean, I make that compromise, you know, and I'm doing willingly. Right. I mean, I I, uh, I have I have colleagues who have left for private industry in part because it pays better and in some cases uh, better benefit packages and such. And, you know, I, that's a that's a reasonable choice. Um, you know, in some cases they end up working more hours and being sort of expected to work more hours, you know, beyond the typical 40 hours or they're expected to be more on call. Um, in some cases it's not so different, you know, and, and most of the folks I know who did that move knew what they were getting into. 
right? And we're looking at it as a cost-benefit analysis. And I think that's completely reasonable. Um, I, I happen, you know, I happen to like working at, at universities in general. Um, and I understand that I may not um, make the same salary if I worked in some sort of startup or in, in, a, in a high-tech company. But I'm not entirely sure I want to work in that culture, and I'm willing to I'm willing to to own that compromise and not sort of say, well, you know, it's just because I'm working for the greater good, while Groupon or Google, you know, are just a bunch of greedy uh, profit suckers. So and so's. Yeah, I mean, I think that uh, the places I have worked where their mission I most agreed with were definitely the biggest dicks in terms of. <laughs> Like, <laughs> cultural situation, and um, I mean, and I and I think it was sort of a reasoning to abuse people, not abuse people, but like take advantage of them. I would agree. Yeah, I mean, if you sign up for extra hours, that's great. But if you if if you don't, like, it's kind of. Uh, I think all of the things that that stereotypically I would have heard about corporations, and I work for a very specific, bizarre corporation. I would also point out, but. Um, were things I totally experienced at like nonprofits, but yeah. don't experience in my current job. And so, hmm. um, you know, the idea like, uh, if you have children, you get to leave early and everyone else has to stay late. Right. That's not cool. Right. Like, and that's, that's total selfishness. It's discrimination, um, yeah, well, is what too. it is. I mean, it, it's maybe one <laughs> different way than another, you know, um, but again, it's that I guess I, I'm part of the reason I, I also brought this up is the the admitted selfishness I don't have a problem with. Like if someone lays it out on the line, mm -hmm. it's fine by me. But it's when someone couches it in this idea of like, well, I'm doing this great thing, so you should really do these things for me. Yeah, exactly. I, I I'm not a big believer in selflessness. Um, you know, I mean, obviously the concept exists, but I'm not. A big believer in it and I haven't been for a long time because I uh, I think that it is a good idea to actually look out for your own best interests yeah. <laughs> I think it's a very good idea to pay attention and to do things that benefit you the the difference is whether you do things that benefit you without regard for others or with regard for others and, you know, I think what we call that calculation, we call that ethics. <laughs> and I think it is very How possible. How them if you don't believe in Jeebus? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think it's very possible to have ethics. And a lot of ethics, I think, boil down pretty simply to what we know as the golden rule, which means if you wouldn't like someone doing it to you, don't do it to somebody else. And I don't think that those are really complex arguments. I don't think they're very complex uh, uh, calculations to make. And I don't need a couple of uh, chiseled stones handed down on top of a mountain to tell me how to, uh, how to do those things. And so, you know, I guess what people often call it is sort of uh, is enlightened self-interest, uh, I guess is what I hear bandied about. Um, you can often argue, I think, and I, I would, that taking advantage of others may ultimately not actually be in your self-interest. It's, you know, sort of the uh, the moral quandary would be if you uh, go around killing people, 
uh, with little regard. Eventually, you spend most of your time looking over your shoulder, wondering if someone's going to kill you, right? When you take advantage of others, uh, when you lie, cheat, and steal, I think you end up in a state of advanced paranoia because you're going to be worried that somebody else is going to take yours. Unless you're a sociopath. Yeah, I think even if you're a sociopath, (laughs) you're probably still in that mode. It just maybe you you just maybe in such a psychological state that that's not that that there's that you're unable to choose a different path. You know, I think that that's part of. I mean, being not at all a psychologist nor psychiatrist, you know, I think that that when you start talking about pathologies, you're talking about realms in which people are have limited choice for for some reason or another. Um, in in their behaviors, or some sort of uh, precondition that that greatly uh, propels them to act in a particular way, as opposed to being able to make a more level-headed uh, decision about what they're doing. But from that standpoint, that's why the reason why I'm a, I sort of against selflessness because I think, well, what does that mean? It means that I give of myself without regard then for my own well-being what does it mean well yeah i mean i feel like we don't need to talk people into being self-interested because i really don't believe anyone isn't i think everyone is (laughs) self-interested and the people who think they aren't are either keeping it a secret you know trying to be like oh no i'm really great or uh trying to use this as a you know i don't make decisions platform from a book showed me the way to be free of the shadows of yesterday but the price of that freedom we all must pay from now Hey, welcome to the halfway point of Jenny and Paul sellout number six. Hope you're enjoying this conversation. This is Paul just uh, reminding you that we'd love it if you would rate our podcast on iTunes, especially if that's how you're subscribing and uh, downloading the program. So go over to our page at the iTunes store Give us some stars, but if you can spare even a couple of words for a review, we'd really appreciate it. Also, you know, tell your friends about it. Post it on Facebook or your Tumblr or your Twitter or uh, just scrawl it on a bathroom wall somewhere. Our uh, website, which you I'm sure you know, is selloutpodcast.com. And of course, even if you don't use iTunes, you can uh, listen to the program at Stitcher Radio or at Dar FM. And if you use those services, we'd appreciate a rating there too. And of course, if you have any comments about the program, go ahead and uh, leave a comment at our website or send us some email at jpsellout at gmail.com. 
And now we return you to our little examination of selflessness. But I think, I mean, I guess one of the reasons I did bring this up is I have this odd experience, which I think most people would call a very selfless act. So um, I moved back to Chicago because uh, my parents are fairly elderly and ailing, even though I'm fairly young for that to happen, and sort of like moved my whole life, changed my job. Um, and uh, pretty much everyone who I've discuss that with is like you're such a great daughter and like this is I mean it, it becomes this like you're so giving you're such a giving person blah blah and I, I don't really have a response for that because I feel like it was an extremely self-motivated like self-interested thing you know like I wanted to share time with these family members who were probably going to die who were the only people who could tell me things about my life you know mm -hmm. what I mean that I wasn't present for so I mean yeah obviously it is a selfless act in some ways but the the go-to that everyone I've discussed it with is sort of like oh uh or or everyone I've discussed it with who is in the same situation kind of describes it as an extremely selfless situation when in fact like, and I think anyone would tell you this, you know, uh, if someone, you know, any, any time someone says, you know, like th it's such a common thing in our society to be like, you never know what's going to happen. We could get run over tomorrow. So make every moment count. Live mm -hmm. today as, you know, it's your last day. And all those things I think are very, uh, true, but also, uh, very extremely selfish like like yeah, yeah live today live, and and if today is your last day like hmm, i want to find out more about my life like i don't think that uh spending time with other people who you know were around when i was a kid or you know doing something that i know i for i for because i would regret it i mean i think that's the main reason people do anything involving ailing people is because they'll probably regret it <laughs> Mm -hmm. And I don't think that's bad. I mean, I no. think that's that's what's kept like, you know, cavemen around for this long. So, um, well, it but, sounds like you right. You made a you made a cost benefit analysis for right. all intents and purposes, and you decided that that perhaps you would in fact appreciate the outcome of this more than a different outcome. Right, and, but I feel like no one sort of admits that idea, um, mm -hmm. and everyone I speak to who is in any way. Um, involved in caring with uh elderly or sick people kind of doesn't say it that way they're like oh yeah no i'm just you know i'm doing the right thing it's like no you're not doing the right thing yeah <laughs> I mean, maybe I'm, I'm i'm a little critical of this whole doing the right thing idea <laughs> in general because i i because you hate spike lee because i hate spike lee that's right <laughs> uh no uh because i think that this undercover of this cover of selflessness not only do i think it is it is it is wrong i think it's pernicious because it it encourages um the giving up of of the self and in whether in whether you are actually or not i think that it 
encourages and rewards things which are actually harmful. Yeah. And that in that there are, I've known too many people, um, both men and women, although and, and, and I think it gets expressed in men and women differently because of, of the way our society and culture treats men and women differently, but who have sort of internalized these this sort of selflessness and as a result been pretty unhappy people who are kind of who are hurting and in some cases the hurting becomes physical i mean to the extent of of self-denial and not taking care of oneself yeah uh, you know all in in exchange for dedicating a lot to people and often dedicating it to people who don't deserve it you know, frankly, people who are who are abusive or who or narcissistic at the very least, who who can who soak in all the attention and love and and uh, other sorts of uh, benefits and don't really give much back or only demand more. You know, you see that that cycle where where someone who is very narcissistic uh, ends up with somebody who is very so-called selfless, right? And and you can you see how damaging it can be. So I think. To me, it, it's not merely that that there are folks who are, to some extent, um, using selflessness as a way to um, make themselves feel better. I think that there are people who perhaps more explicitly embrace selflessness and harm themselves or end up being harmed in the process. Yeah, I totally agree because I feel like, you know, taking care of someone is a terrible experience that, like – is a lot of work and obviously upsetting. And the only way I think I could have gotten through that is by being like, I made this decision. Like, I made this decision to do this. In the long run, it's going to be the decision I stick with. Um, Whereas, like, people I've spoken to about it who are like, well, it's just the thing I got to do because they're my parents or it's the thing I got to do because they're my sibling or my significant other, um, kind of feel trapped in that because they they feel like they didn't make that decision. I think that's that word is uh, is really powerful uh, because I think I've heard from enough people who've used that word, right? And 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 it may not be in the kind of circumstances that that you're describing a circumstance in which they are uh, uh, decided to dedicate much of their time and effort to taking care of somebody, but yeah. people who have put themselves in the positions with. And whether they're jobs or sometimes it's it's sure. it's family, just family in general, right? Oh yeah, I, people. I think people use this about their children all the time. Yeah, this notion of being trapped, and uh, you know, to me, it's like, well, if there aren't chains, <laughs> and there aren't there aren't you know, there's no jail. How can you be trapped? I mean, you could have made a decision that is difficult, right? And right. that's. And that's understandable uh, just because one of us makes a decision that we have come to conclusion is, is good for us in, in a shorter long term doesn't mean that it feels like a good decision every day of our lives or every morning or every afternoon. But the difference between that and trapped is significant. Uh, at least most of us, uh, you know, living in uh, Western countries <laughs> – or <laughs> roughly middle class uh, who can listen to podcasts who can listen to podcasts can can choose to get up and go anytime we like and there's yeah. very little to stop us there may be consequences and they may right. be consequences that 
that we don't necessarily like. Um, but I think often the consequences aren't real either because part of being selfless, I think, causes someone to greatly overestimate the penalties or the consequences for uh, for choosing yourself. Well, yeah, this week I think there's been a lot of articles, I think, in the New York Times about the trap of busyness. And I think yeah. I think that this selflessness thing is also a trap. I think the idea that, like, I mean, even the way relationships are structured and people discuss relationships, the idea, like, whether it's with your significant other or whether it's with your children, I think especially your children, the idea that, like, the unconditional love idea where it's like, oh, well, it doesn't really matter what they do. I love them. And it's like, well, that's fucked up. Like, that's <laughs> not that's not really a thing. Like, and I, yeah, you can love someone no matter, you know, and maybe not be involved in their life if they're like a totally abusive, terrible person. Um, but the whole idea that like, that's what that's what relationships are. And that's what love is, is to be like totally selfless. It's kind of insane and all omnipresent to like all media and romantic comedies. Romantic comedies. Yeah. Not a way, yeah. not, not something you should learn to, uh, not a place <laughs> where you should learn how to live your life. Um, sure, definitely not. No, I, I agree. And it's, but yet there, there's, there is a culture of, of the value of selflessness. And, you know, it certainly is taught in most major religions. Um, and I think it's it's even in the culture because of that, and 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 regardless of that, um, and it it and it seems like it is it is so often uh, valued in places where um, that selflessness is taken for granted or taken taken advantage of. You know, whether again, as I, I my experience often in working in in uh, nonprofits and uh, and working in. Um, you know, these progressive organizations where, uh, boy, if somebody was really willing to put their nose to the grindstone and often work for the organization, maybe more than they should, <laughs> more than is healthy. Right. Uh, boy, no one's going to, no one's going to tap you on the shoulder and say, you, you, you know what, you know, you know what, uh, Susie, you know what, Fred, um, maybe, maybe you should, you should go home. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> you know, maybe maybe you should take a break. Maybe you shouldn't, you know, we shouldn't work you to death. Um, most of the time, no, it's sort of like, oh, way to go. Way to go, Fred. Way to go, Susie. You're so wonderful. You're so giving. And, and that sort of that. Maybe uh, you'll get promoted and have to work more. Yeah. Or even not. And often, you know, in these or in, yeah. in volunteer organizations. Right. That they're, right. You know, there's not. And I and, and I don't think people always do it. They're not doing it to necessarily get promoted or to become oh, yeah, more powerful not doing it for that reason. Yeah. But they're, but yet they're doing it because they do They are getting something from it, but that, that part of the positive that they feel like they're getting comes from the sacrifice, so to speak. Yeah. yeah I mean, I think this is part of um, like being a martyr and being right. a martyr being, uh, and I think again, this is all decision based. And I mean, for me, almost everything comes down to like, you made a choice, mm-hmm. uh, and um, I think it's, again, another way to get out of that. Like, I'm so put put upon at work because they make me do all these things. Well, okay. Is that something you're agreeing to or are you getting out? You yeah. Know, or, is it, or is it negotiable? Yeah. Right. <laughs> I right. Mean, the idea that it's not – it's a choice you make every single day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, oh, indeed. Yeah. 
Yeah, because there are other jobs. I mean, even in a really, really shitty economy, there are probably other jobs. All right. At least at this point in time, you know, I mean, could there be some other future? Has there been a past in which that wasn't so true? Possibly, uh, you know, but we I think looking at now, um, yeah, there are the things you can choose to do um, and you can make choices that lead you there <laughs> better or worse um, that you you are not shackled to a grindstone well and being the martyr is easier than being like well you know in my in my field there really aren't any other jobs so i'm gonna have to make an, a plan and maybe that means going back to school and maybe that means you know getting some sort of licensing and maybe that means you know interning for free somewhere maybe you know the idea of like the creative thought um that you will have to do and perhaps shitty work that you will have to do in order to get out of this martyr lifestyle uh is I, I mean I think it's it's a trap in that people don't think about the other option, mm-hmm. and then it's also a trap because it's just so hard to do something else rather than complain about like how selfless you are because you're the work martyr or right. the life martyr. Well, the selflessness, I mean, that's where it becomes even more pernicious because it becomes a cover, right? It becomes right. the rationale. So. If if it were really it's a beard, it's a beard. <laughs> it's a beard. Yeah, if it were really a question, right? Of well, I'm choosing this thing which hurts me over something which doesn't. That would be too difficult. It's sort of a paradox. Is too difficult to deal with. So you have to have you have to have the cover. You have to have the excuse and to say, you know, well, uh, it's because you know. I'm not selfish because I'm willing to do this for my coworkers, for my company, for the organization I work for because of the mission of, of, of this organization or whatever. I'm willing to do this. Um, that's what I need. Um, I mean, you know, if that's really what you want, more power to you. <laughs> I mean, at a level, it's, you know, at, yeah, uh, I mean, it's fine. It's, it's getting a trophy for fucking up your own life. And I think... <laughs> Uh, I think we just, I don't know how we could put that as the title, but getting a trophy for fucking up your own life. I like that. And it's it's like, uh, I mean, I think the thing that's so weird is that people still as adults are like trying to, well, tell you things bold, like just right to your face that you're like, that is a lie to cover up some shit about your life. Um, and you don't need to lie to me because I'm another person. Like, you're only fucking yourself. Mm-hmm. And it's so interesting to me when people, like, will lengthily talk to you about this shit. Like, about being a martyr, being, like, the selfless person. When you can tell, like, they don't even believe that, mm-hmm. you know? Or, well, they're trying or, to convince themselves. Yeah, I, mean, I mean, they need they that do. feedback to, to, keep up the, uh, to, to, to keep up the defense. And I don't, I don't use the, the word trap lightly. I think that, like, some people, it's just unconscious. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, absolutely. I, and, I, and I think it's, you know, because it's such an omnipresent uh, way of, of convincing yourself uh, that times aren't that bad um, because you're awesome. But there are definitely times I've had conversations with people where they, they clearly don't buy this. I mean, I'm sure I've had these conversations, too. I mean, let's not be... Yeah. Uh, yeah. Where I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm doing this thing. It sucks. But, you know, yeah. Uh, but it's it's so um, I, I don't know. I mean, I just think it's it's w- why a human being would have this conversation when they know when there's no one else as an adult you need to you need to, like, give a status report to. Mm-hmm. 
Well, I mean, it, part oh. of that is is I think that people feel like they they need others' approval, which is a, which is a whole other show, I think, or several. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the sense and 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 for some people, that's a, they need the approval of a few people. Uh, or, you know, and, and maybe there are people who are very close to them in life, but there are others who kind of need the approval of everyone around them, right? Yeah. And if they don't get that approval, they feel as if what they're doing is wrong or they feel un, unloved or, or unvalued and such. And that's – it's a whole nother – I mean, it's a whole nother set, and obviously I think it's all it's all related. Um, but I think it is possible as well to for people to to be caught in that sort of selflessness trap without necessarily also needing the uh, the constant approval of others. Um, you know, uh, people are built in many different ways. But I think one of the things we don't I, I don't want to leave out of this conversation is is you know sort of the question is well, why should we give a shit? You know, well if that's the way people want to be, you know, why should I care? Uh, because I do think that there are. It's, you know, in, in any given uh, circumstance, uh, one person's selflessness is not isolated. It has effects on organizations. It has effects on families. It has effects on relationships. And I think that that's why uh, we should give a shit. And that's why I think selflessness is so pernicious is yeah. because while on the one hand, it the uh, the face of it is, well, I'm doing this for you or I'm doing this for the organization. Right. In a lot of ways, counter to that stated uh, mission, it ends up actually being destructive. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think it's heartbreaking. I think especially when you see people who could be doing something so much more awesome. I mean, I think the entire idea of being in crazy debt because you bought too many Christmas presents is exactly this idea. Yeah. It's like, it's like, oh, let's buy my kids a million dollars worth of Christmas presents, even though we can't afford it and they will never remember this because they're four. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think it has huge financial aspects. I think it has, I mean, the whole thing of like, why are you buying a house that's way too big for your family, even though you don't have the money? Mm -hmm. Like, I think that's that whole foreclosure issue is, is totally related to this. Or, or, or if you even go back to like the workplace, if you have somebody who is selfless, right, who is who is working, uh, and 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 often someone ends up doing other people's jobs. Yep. You know, uh, who ends up, uh, you know, if they see something not not happening, they go ahead and they take care of it, um, rather than this maybe going and saying to the person whose job it is to. Hey, hey! Why don't you take care of that thing, or you know, w which then can lead to damage in a couple different ways. One way is, of course, other people don't end up doing their jobs, and maybe they don't end up doing their jobs because they're lazy or they don't care or whatever. And and so there's a certain equilibrium, but then you know they're never sort of taxed either, right? And that throws things off uh, in any organization when people don't do what it is they're supposed to do or however, or really what they've agreed to do. Sometimes there's conflict because that person who is being selfless doing someone else's job is getting in the way of the person trying to do their job. Right. Cause it, I mean, there can be circumstances where it's your duty. It's your responsibility. You've agreed to it. You want to do it, but because of this person's sort of over eagerness, you can't quite do it. And that's a problem because you know, you might still get held responsible for the outcome uh, because, 
they may be doing it in a way which is wrong <laughs> and you and or uh, inappropriate and you're not able quite to get in um, and do it. And of course, uh, that can lead, you know, someone to say, well, forget it. I'm leaving. Right. It can have these these sort of pernicious effects on on, on an organization. Um, and it can be that maybe uh, someone is who's the selfless person overdoing it, doing everyone else's job. Maybe it's a situation which everyone's sort of on the face happy with it. Okay, great, thank you. You know, and not that someone's lazy, but they're like perfectly glad to let them do it. Uh, then what happens when that person's no longer there? Yeah, and I mean, I think uh, it's eventually going to come to a head no matter what. Because, and, and you know, you can be selfless and selfless and selfless, but eventually either you're going to quit or die <laughs> and then someone's going to come along and be like hey why are these four jobs being done by one person when mm-hmm. we could have had like three extra people or um you know like i at my job was like i'm doing too much work and so then we got a bunch of interns and our interns got awesome experience and now you know they have good jobs so i like i think it's eventually going to become a problem no matter what and saying it earlier versus later helps people uh you know actually fix it and or have I mean, time yeah, to fix it right, yeah, right before exactly. it's an emergency right and the idea that like I, I think part of this selflessness is the idea that like oh my god this thing's a terrible problem for me what everyone must realize this but they just hate me or everyone just mm-hmm. realizes this or is ignoring me um when in fact we're all so self-interested that no one notices <laughs> exactly. because you know i'm in my i'm doing my own shit like you know and i think that i mean that back to the romantic comedy idea is the totally like life uh you know statement of like how you know well if you just like someone you just sit around and think about it (laughs) and eventually it just happens right like instead of like proactively doing things well, it's it's back to the no one cares about you, right? Right, no one cares. About you. Right, <laughs> it's that, that you know, it maybe no one, you know, yes, in a, in a perfect world, it would be nice if someone noticed that you were bending over backwards and completely killing yourself to do this. But the fact is, until you make it clear that maybe you don't want to do that, folks are going to assume that you like it. Right. And <laughs> what I've seen, especially in smaller organizations, you know, like a small nonprofit, but I think it can happen in a small business. It, it can happen in even like a small department in a, in a college or university or a school or, or, you know, a place where maybe resources are are um, more scarce, where um, it's more, you know, where you're, you're sort of actively working under the assumption that um, it's not like we can immediately hire folks to come in and help and such. Um, in that circumstance, you know, people will then be selfless and, and sort of, okay, well, I'll just do all these things and do all these things and do all these things and take on, right, three or four jobs would ought to be one. There's an even bigger problem because what you do is sort of enhance in the culture of over-extraction, right? Yeah. All you do is sort of is begin to collectively set a standard that – you know, there's no such thing as a 40 hour work week here. There's no such thing as wearing one hat. And that in order to to just meet the bare basic standards for this place, you have to completely give over yourself, you know, uh, completely to to this job, which right. which often then, you know, everything's means an emergency. Everything, everything is has emergency. To be an emergency. And and. 
other people often then don't want to join that. <laughs> you know, you because what happens then is then when you finally get around to maybe hiring someone new or bringing someone new in, they look around and go, what the hell is this? I'm out of here. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like an escalation, yeah. I mean, I think I've worked every, almost every place. If you work in any sort of computer situation, um, uh, there's like a a tracker of some sort, like a a problem tracker, mm-hmm. and they always have these levels. Like one is an emergency, like our our building burned down, everyone's getting an email, the whole website is down, something terrible happened, like a once in a lifetime terrible thing, and then two is like. Something terrible happened, but, you know, the site's not down. Um, and then there's, like, three, four, or five, whatever. Nothing ever be- is a three or four or five. Right. Because people learn that a number four is never going to get attended to because everyone's putting in something in it as a two. And what's a two And, and what's a two to you is not a two to me, first of all. But also, uh, it's like a learned behavior that mm-hmm. you have to escalate how, how bad something is. Well, and that's especially if you have people who are working too much exactly. because they're they're doing it for the good of the organization when it really doesn't end up being for the good of the organization because, it, right, it puts everybody constantly working at 10,000 RPM. Um, right. And or the idea that, like, how am I supposed to work on this this weekend if you don't fix this now? Well, maybe yeah. you shouldn't be working this weekend. Right. It, yeah. And, and, and you end up with dysfunctional organizations that in the long run are unable to plan that are unable right. to make strategic decisions because they're only reacting to circumstances rather than analyzing them. And, right, and, and, and that can all have its roots in this, in this selfless, selflessness. Right. Like what is and is not an emergency if someone is continuously working on it, no matter if, if you could, if you're willing to like get up at three in the morning and, and fix something, then for any reason, then everything's an emergency. That, and that's the new standard, right? Yeah. It goes from that being um, an exception, right? A, a true emergency, an actual exception, to being the expectation. And I think for the for the person who's willing to do that, right, the trap is, is that it can feel kind of good, right, to be so necessary. It can feel kind of good to tackle things. It's kind of nice to be a fireman when you actually put out the fire, right? There's a certain satisfaction there but and i think that's what draws people into it but then you know it's a bit like heroin (laughs) it feels so good but i keep needing more to feel as good about it and this is how it's always been Mm -hmm. right and this gives me sort of an excuse to be a a dick because i'm oh i'm always stressed out because i'm always doing things for everyone right and even if someone isn't a dick (laughs) Right. <laughs> it means that maybe, though, that they end up in a lot of other ways not being as reliable um, in a lot of other ways. Maybe there are aspects of their their job or their their responsibilities that don't get done. Right. Because they're themselves prioritizing the so-called emergencies over things that are uh, more long term um, and require more uh, thought and planning, and I, and I can say for myself in my own in my own career, uh, as well as work I've done in in nonprofits. I mean, it it, it is reco- you know the I can see why it's tempting, I can see why it's seductive, but I also see that you know you from it's important to look out for yourself, really, to really to actually then be selfish and to say wait. This isn't healthy. This isn't something I want to do. 
Um, I've stepped down from from positions where it got to the point where the proportion of of being a fireman and and versus being somebody versus working on the the bigger long term projects that I I thought were important got way out of whack. And you, and you just look and say, okay, we're in a situation where it no longer seems to be under my control. Th- this right. proportion. And the only reasonable thing I can do is to leave. Well, and you brought up earlier the religion aspect, and I think that is partially uh, it. The idea that, like, without – if if we just all were rampant, selfish people, we'd be doing these terrible things. Mm-hmm. But I think in reality, yeah, we would be uh, preserving self-interest in a way, especially at work, where it's like, no, I, I don't have – I don't have – quote unquote bandwidth for that or mm-hmm. I don't have um that project's not that important you're gonna have to come back and do another thing um or I mean the idea that like things doing things that are good to uh, for other people like feels really awesome if you're not a sociopath I guess yeah <laughs> Again. well and maybe you have more <laughs> bandwidth if, right. if those things are are well tended to and you're able to have some proportionality in your life Maybe that allows you to do those things in a way that is both good for you and for the other person that would be very difficult to do if you're if you're completely overwhelmed. Um, Sure. And I just think that like without just being self-interested and I think earlier you mentioned the that makes people think of Ayn Rand. Um, I mean, I don't think that if everyone was self-interested, we would be in an, a Randian situation. No. I think if everyone was self-interested, people are still going to volunteer at a shelter. People mm-hmm. are still going to, you know, um, because it it does make you feel really good. Well, so. and, and part of it is, is that, I mean, I think it's not too hard to extrapolate and recognize that for any one of us, it's we're really not sure when we may need to depend on the kindness of others. Yeah. In any number of of life threatening or simple sort of ways when someone we may need to rely on another person, maybe a loved one, maybe a stranger, maybe an organization or charity to give us a hand because we simply don't have that much control over our futures Um, and all sorts of things can happen that we don't know about. And we I think it's we can all make the decision to say, well, if I. Uh, contribute towards charities or volunteer in some other way and et cetera. I'm helping to foster an environment in a community where that help is available. Um, and, and that's sort of right. That's what I would call sort of rational self-interest. Right. I can create and contribute uh, to this world. Um, and, you know, one hopes that we might get back and you also kind of hope maybe I never need to take advantage of it. Uh, but that, I mean, I think that, that again, it's the golden rule. It's sort of don't do someone, don't do to someone else what you don't want done to you do for someone else, what you would like to have done for you. Right. Whereas the self selflessness is just an abdication of the control. And I think, Oh yeah. I think that that's really, I I never thought of it that way. That's, that's... I I think it's, it's interesting. I, I, I dated someone who, who, uh, called something he, the, he, had a life pocket veto. So based on like, you know, what you learned in the fifth grade about how bills become laws, the idea that like, you know, Congress can pass something, but then the president has to sign it. And if the president doesn't get around to it for a certain number of days, um, it's, he is pocket vetoed. He didn't make Mm -hmm. the decision to not sign it. He 
and and so it's something that politically I I don't know much about this like but I think that it's kind of a it's kind of a passive aggressive dick move of a president to do because obviously the president has time to sign things mm-hmm. he but he's just chosen not to pay attention to your bill um and the idea of the life pocket veto where like um you know it would have been really good if I chose to do that thing but I just didn't I didn't make a decision mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and so now my life is like such and such yeah um that's a whole nother show right there (laughs) well and i think i think selflessness i would love to talk about that but i think selflessness is really like for a lot of people a way to go through life pocket vetoing everything Mm -hmm. never admitting that you got here because of your decisions right that these things you were doing what was right you were right. doing, you know, the the right thing in this in this other moral universe, and as a result, all these things happen to you. Right, because people who are actually doing the right thing tend to not complain about it. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess my question is how how do you know you're being selfish but not a dick? I mean, I think to me, the ethical line is. Um, Am I taking advantage of somebody, which is often defined of whether or not they're consenting <laughs> to to whatever transaction is happening? Um, do I need to sneak or hide <laughs> in order <laughs> in order to achieve my goals? Um, you know, I think those are a couple of good questions because it's a matter of. Um, you know, can I can we discuss the terms of whatever engagement or contract or relationship openly? Right. Then you got a good shot that it's probably not being coercive when you're not taking advantage of somebody. But if you're actively trying to hide terms or avoid discussion of certain points, then you're probably leaning towards being an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> Kind of how I look at it. Sounds like you're advocating people have adult relationships. Have a, yeah, and, and actually talk <laughs> about things, right. And to say, do you expect me to do this? Okay, well, I would like you to do that. Oh, you don't want to do that. Okay, well, what will you do? Simple conversations like that. And willingness to also, I think, to say up front and outright, I do want that, I don't want that. Because as yeah. soon as you're you're saying, if you're... If you are consenting to do X, but you really don't want to do X, and you're really not going to do X, then you're you're ostensibly lying. <laughs> yeah, no, I, that's the worst. I feel like that's such the worst thing, and like, I because it's going to come out eventually, and then mm-hmm. everyone's going to be unhappy. Yeah, right. And you could have avoided everyone being unhappy from the right. beginning. You know, and that's why contracts you know, real written contracts often have clauses about if one party fails to fulfill the terms, then there are consequences, right? And when you agree to that contract, right, when it's a real written legal binding document, right, you've agreed to that, which means that you are free not to do X, right? but that you've agreed that there will be consequences for not doing X. Um, I I think we've done a pretty good job on this one. Are you selfishly saying you're done? Yeah. Well, I, I, I'm selfishly saying I'm done. I'm selfishly saying I think that, uh, you know, we, we try not to keep our listeners 
too late. You're thinking. You're thinking of the listeners. I'm thinking. Well, because if we if because if we don't think of the listeners, eventually they'll quit thinking of us. <laughs> and they'll yeah, quit and listening. It's really selfish of you to think of our listeners. Yes, and and they won't want to. They'll they won't want to rate our show, or they'll only want to rate it negatively. So, yeah. uh, you know, uh, we definitely learned uh, the the feedback I got from our first show was an hour and a half was too long. No, I agree with that. And uh, and then an hour. No one seems to have complained about hour, hour, ten minutes. No. There seems to be kind of a sweet spot there. Um, and of course, you've noticed I chunk it up a little bit, just just it's a true. tad. Um, so yeah, I think I think today, just go out and be selfish. <laughs> Do it. But don't awesome. be an asshole. Be selfish, don't be asshole. but don't be an asshole. Yeah, don't be an asshole. Ask for what you want. Don't expect that you're going to get it. Understand that you might have to negotiate. <laughs> Right, but that uh, you everyone might be happier if you reach a, if you reach a mutual decision than if you uh, sort of sort of passively agreed to something and just didn't do it. Yeah, if you're going to be unhappy, you should you should mention that. <laughs> if we do this, I'm going to be very unhappy. <laughs> like I always say, unless you haven't done it something about it, you can't complain about it to me. Mm. That's like my my rule. All right, so everyone. If you're going to complain to Jenny. Yeah. Yeah. So you can't complain about our show unless you've emailed me. (laughs) Yeah. Right. What you want to change. All right. So uh, that that uh, that email address again. It's JP sellout at gmail.com. Or you can go to our website at sellout podcast. I might get a Twitter. A Twitter. Or a Facebook. A Facebook. All right. Those things. All right. I I I. I'm glad if you do that. I would like you to do that. Please do that. <laughs> I will. <laughs> You've been. It's the delegation here. We have to. Yeah, uh, that's fine. Whether uh, rather than getting passive aggressive about that. Oh yeah. no! Don't do that. Wouldn't want you to bother. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you, Jenny. Thank you, Paul. <laughs> <laughs>